So um, if you would, let's join together. Let's pray and uh, continue in worship together. Father, uh, we're so thankful for um, how you work. Uh, it's so great to be able to come together and to share testimony of your goodness. Uh, Lord, of one um, uh, on their way to the end and uh, Father brought back for what? Uh, we don't know yet, but Father, for a great purpose uh, because we believe that you um, will use our lives for your glory when we are um, clay in the hand of our maker. So uh, Father, we thank you for that testimony this morning for how amazing you are, how you work, and how you mold and shape our lives. Father, I continue to pray that you just uh, give us the will to be able to submit to what you have and to follow you um, with excitement, um, looking to see what you have next for us. Father, this morning as uh, Bill and Chris are out and on the road, uh, Father, we pray as always for great adventure, uh, for great times together, for great fun. Um, Father, that you would bring them back here um, into this place in this time of uncertainty for this church, um, for this, this family Bible church. Uh, Father, as they look for that next step, we just pray that you would continue to guide them. Lord, I pray that you would join them closer and closer together through this difficult season of not knowing what the next step is. Uh, but Father, we know you can work, and uh, Father, we trust that sometimes you do your greatest work um, in our greatest need. Uh, where you lay the path before us. So I just continue to pray that for this body of believers as they continue to glorify you together as one large family. Pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. So this morning, um, your, uh, your, your sound technician and engineer in the back said, do you have any slides? And I thought, I didn't even think about it. Oh, okay. I guess kids are leaving. All right. All right. So blast is dismissed. Follow that uh, beautiful man back there. So, um, yeah, I didn't even think about it. We, uh, our, our church is a little more traditional. We went from, from this, uh, from kind of this, this freedom and, and um, you know, I don't want to say laid back. We said kind of um, a, a little bit laid back, but serious about our worship, right? Serious about our God. Um, we went into a much more traditional setting, uh, which has been a, a huge adjustment for us. Um, so when, when our pastor teaches, he teaches with, with the Bible and no screen behind him. And I didn't even think about it. But here's what we're going to do. Your visual aid this morning is going to be your Bible. All right? So that's what I have for you this morning. So if you have your Bible, I would love for you to open it up with me to the book of Revelation. Uh, and before we get started, I'm going to tell you this. We're going to jump into Revelation, and I am not going to teach from Revelation this morning. That's not one that you just jump in real quick and go, let's sink our teeth into Revelation chapter 5. Um, there, that's, I think you guys, did you go through Revelation here recently? Yeah, how was that? Was it good? I was, I was kind of hoping to jump online and check some of those out because that's a, that's a neat study for a church to do. But um, what we're going to do this morning is I'm going um, to close out a three-week sermon series right here today with you guys without you knowing anything about the first two weeks. Is that okay? Um, so just weird circumstance. The Lord's been working. Um, our pastor got sick. That's not the Lord working. Um, but uh, they uh, came to me two weeks ago and said, hey, would you mind stepping up and, and teaching? And I said, I'd love to. It's been a long time since I've had the opportunity. And then uh, the second week came, and he was still not feeling well, so I got an opportunity to, to teach again. And then Bill called me, and I thought, well, let's go for three. This will be great. Uh, I love the opportunity to be able to share God's Word. So I've been teaching our church for a couple weeks now on the concept of, is he worthy? Um, and I wanted to start out this morning by asking you guys the question, how many of you know the song that came out a couple years ago called, Is He Worthy? Raise your hand if you know that song. Have you heard it? Oh, fantastic. Almost none of you. I think we all probably did, Corey, but you got to sing a couple more. Um, uh, do you feel the world is broken? 
Do you know that one? It's the call and response. It's so cool. So here's what I want you to do first. Before you do anything else, if you don't know that song, I want you to jot it down. It's called, Is He Worthy? Um, There's a few different versions. Of course, Chris Tomlin covered it because he covers every good song because that's Chris, right? So Chris has a version. The original artist is Andrew Peterson. And I think it's probably... I think it's probably the best song that's been written in the past 50 years. I just, I love it. It's, and it comes from scripture. So what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to ask you guys the question. I'm not going to ask you to think about the question, is he worthy with me? But we're going to dig in just a little bit deeper. But before we even start that, I want to jump into where that song came from. And I want to read together Revelation uh, chapter 5. And um, this answers the, the premise of, is he worthy? So what I'm going to ask you to do, because... This is a powerful passage. I want you to stand up with me this morning. Revelation chapter 5. And we're going to read this together just to kind of set the stage for where we're going this morning in God's Word. Revelation chapter 5, it says this. Uh, actually, we should, we should probably set it up. If you don't know Revelation, if you guys just went through it, you may know. But this is a moment where, where John is seeing this revelation, these things to come. Okay, And he sees all these amazing things coming, and he's getting this front row picture of God's plan. God's judgment, God's ultimate glory. And all of a sudden, in the very middle of all of these things that he's learning, all of a sudden, this happens. And it's heartbreaking for him. And this is what it says. And I, who's John, saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb." as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living elders and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation that have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and blessing and glory. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all in them I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. I ask you the question this morning, is he worthy? He is. Have a seat. 
The question this morning is not whether Jesus is worthy or not, because Scripture, as our foundation, our, our, our rock that we build all of this upon, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ already tells us that he ultimately is the only one who is worthy, the Lamb of God. So what? So what? What do, what do we do with that? If you believe God's word and you believe that he is worthy, what is our next step? Well, I think our next step has to be the book of Romans, and it has to be Romans chapter 12. Because if he is worthy, that means something for us as his people, does it not? Romans chapter 12, only two verses this morning, tells us exactly what our response should be. And I love this passage because it uses the word reasonable. Just reasonable. All right, it says this in Romans chapter 12. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Reasonable. Man, we as believers, we as Christ followers, have this reasonable expectation upon us that if he is worthy and he has done all of these things for us and he has come and lived this perfect sinless life and who was sacrificed, crucified for our sake and we are following him, it's only reasonable that we would do what? Show up to Family Bible Church on a Sunday morning, right? It's only reasonable that we would just show up and then go about our lives, right? Nope, that's not what it says. I had somebody tell me, I love that you're sarcastic. If you don't know me, I'm a little sarcastic. If I say something that's obviously wrong, it's okay to go, nope, nope, that's not right. No, it, it, there's more that's reasonable, right? He calls us to a reasonable sacrifice of everything. It's only reasonable that we give him everything. Why? Because he's given us everything. He has created us. He has redeemed us, and he has a plan for us in the future because he is worthy to carry out his plan from beginning to end. There's two things in there. Number one, it says, do not be conformed. That's a step for us. We don't conform to the world, but what? We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're going to talk this morning about your voice. We're going to ask the question this morning, if he is worthy of all of this, as the, as the chapter of Revelation tells us, when I ask the question is, is he worthy of your voice? Is he worthy of our voice? And we're going to jump into a wonderful passage, a wonderful story that probably everybody knows. And I want to walk through this together, and I want to see when the voiceless is given a voice. And then next steps is, what is the expectation of us? But first, I want to tell you about a friend of mine. I had a friend many years ago, um, and, and it stuck with me. Um, it's probably been about 15 years ago I met this guy. His name is Jay. And uh, Jay has stuck with me so long because, according to Jay, he had an encounter with his Savior. Okay? And as I read through Scripture and as I see these stories of Jesus walking the earth, I always want to ask the question, how do we respond when we have an encounter with the Savior? Or more importantly, an encounter with our Savior? Well, I worked for um, a telephone company, uh, uh, AT&T is what they ended up being, and I was a cable splicer, and I went to uh, this little town, and there were two old guys that had been splicing cables forever. Uh, one of them, I can't remember his name, and the other one was Jay. 
And I jumped in a truck with Jay as I was the new guy, and he was training me. And I got to know Jay a little bit, and I got to hear what other people had to say about Jay and his, his other guy that works with him, the other cable splicer. And I got to go out in the truck with him, and this was, this was our day with Jay. We'd, we'd get to the office, we'd sit down, we'd drink coffee after we clocked in, have a little bit of time to chat, we'd look over work orders, we'd drink some coffee, we'd chat. We'd walk through, talk to the other people and chat. We'd get in our truck and we'd slowly get everything set and we'd chat and then we'd drive to the gas station to get what? More coffee. And uh, Jay was an extreme diabetic. Watched his blood sugar all the time, was on insulin. Uh, his dog was diabetic too, which I thought was interesting. And uh, so they were both on shots. And uh, Jay, every day we would stop at the same gas station, we'd get a cup of coffee and he'd get a big old bear claw. And he'd sit in the truck before we'd roll, he'd eat the entire bear claw. And I always thought that was weird, but I'm not diabetic, so I don't know if he was sneaking it or if it was like critical for his health. Um, but we'd have a bear claw, and we'd drive out to the job site, and you're kind of getting the feel for, the, for how we're doing this work, right? We'd drive out to the field, and we'd get to our job site, and put the truck in park, and turn it off, and roll down the windows, and, and then we'd drink coffee, <laughs> right? So I got into this habit with him of, you know, when you're a new guy, you can't be like, all right, I'm going to go splice some cables while you drink your coffee. Like, you know, I was kind of, he's my teacher, my trainer, so I'm kind of stuck with him. So, um, so I got into the habit. I'd bring my, my Bible with me. And uh, so I'd sit there and I'd read my Bible. And one day we're sitting there and, and, and Jay opens up to me and Jay says, hey, um, you might be surprised to know this, um, but I'm a Christian too. And I said, really? Okay, tell me more. I, it it kind of took me aback a little bit. Um, not because Jay was this like really, really bad guy. He wasn't. He was super friendly. He was really nice. Um, but, you know, after 30-some years of doing the same thing, like as a fresh new guy, I kind of look at the work ethic, and then I look at, you know, what I hear around me and the different things, and I listen to language, and, and you know, you're always kind of putting people in these, in these categories of, I wonder where they're at with the Lord. So Jay starts telling me, Jay's probably, he's probably 55 at this point, and uh, he starts telling me, he's like, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian, I go to church, you know, I do this, this is my, the stuff that I'm involved in, uh, my family goes, um, but he said, here's the thing, um, I, did, I don't think anybody here knows that I'm a Christian, um, and I don't really talk about it because, honestly, I'm just kind of afraid of what they're going to say, and what they're going to say about me and to me. 55 years old? 30 years in a place, and nobody knew that he was a believer. And I thought to myself, man, how can that be? How is that possible? Now, I, I don't know exactly where Jay was with the Lord, but I knew he had had some sort of encounter, some sort of, of time in his life where he was able to look at and say, you know what, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. But the question was, was how was Jay using his voice? If nobody around him knew, now, those, those are my formative years. I was early 20s when I started that. I just finished college. It was my first job out of college. And I'm starting to form and, and figure out how I'm going to be once I, you know, I'm in the workforce now. Who am I going to be? And I knew one thing. I didn't want my voice to be that quiet voice that was afraid to come out to where I had a life at home and a life at work. Unfortunately, Jay's passed on. Um, I uh, lost connection with him over the years. I had a couple contacts that let me know. Um, my prayer is that Jay found his voice. And I don't know if he found his voice through maybe just a, an experience at church. I don't know if he found his voice. I, I pray that my time with him and communicating openly and freely with him and others um, may have given him that, that encouragement that he needs. But this morning, I want to ask you the question of where is your voice? Number one, we're going to ask the question, have you had that encounter with the Savior? 
the one who is worthy. We just sang his name. We just read in Revelation. The first and most important thing is, have you had that encounter with Jesus Christ? And then number two is, where's your voice? And what is, our, what is his expectation of us and how we use that? So we're going to settle in this morning to John chapter 4. If you want to grab your Bibles and flip over there, we're going to read through John chapter 4. I've been in John quite a bit over the last few weeks. Um, I was able to share uh, quite a bit from uh, the beginning of John chapter 4 and a little bit from the end of John chapter 4. But this morning what I want to do is I want to look at the, the broad context of this. And I want to look at the full story of the Samaritan woman at the well. You guys know the story, right? You probably have heard it if you've been in church before. I love this encounter with Jesus Christ and what it means for her and then eventually, of course, what it means for us as we hopefully get to know our Savior a little bit more this morning. So in John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says this, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. Now we know Samaria, right? Samaria is the place in between the two kingdoms, the two nations. And Samaria is home of those evil, evil people that we call the Samaritans. And hopefully you remember a little bit of the context of the Samaritans, because in order to understand this passage, you know, if we read over that and go, oh, okay, it's just, some, it's just some civilization, okay, it's some people group, yeah, uh, okay, let's keep going and see what happens when Jesus gets there. But what we have to remember is Samaritan was a hated, hated people group in a hated geographic location. So Jesus was going from one area to the next area, and he had to pass right through Samaria, home of the Samaritans. Now the Samaritans, the reason they were so hated, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other so much, is because the Samaritans had taken up this whole different uh, viewpoint than the Jews. So the Samaritans actually had their own five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. They had their own version. It was pretty similar, but it was their own. And, and if you remember anything about how critical Scripture was back then, it, it wasn't in people's pockets, right? It wasn't in, on people's laps. There were these scrolls that were issued to certain, certain families, certain people, and certain, certain places of worship where they would bring them out because there was only a few. So to have them reproduced and taken out of Jerusalem was a big deal. But not only that, they had also intermarried. And if you know anything about the Old Testament... That bloodline was very critical all the way through. And to go and to marry and to have children with Assyrians was a terrible thing. So not only did they have their own scriptures that they were using, they also completely destroyed the bloodline that was so important to so many people in, in Jerusalem, so many of the Jews. And on top of that, they even did such a, a, a thing that just broke the Jews' heart is they set up their own place of worship. They said, okay, this is the place that we worship, but we're not, even, we're not even allowed to be there anymore. We're completely at odds with one another, so we're going to set up our own temple, and we're going to worship here. So we have the Jews, and we have the Samaritans, and they have developed this terrible relationship. And I was trying to think through how that applies to today. I came up with a slightly weak metaphor, but I was listening to John Piper a couple weeks ago, and he uh, lived in a different generation, and he made this so clear to me. He said it's almost, it's almost like um, when he was growing up many, many years ago, the difference between the black people and the white people. How there were certain water fountains 
that only black people could use or only white people could use. And you have these two groups, and some of them on one end have such severe hatred for the other group, and on this end, such severe hatred on the other group that there was no mixing in the middle. And we know that story a little bit. Some of, some of you were there. Some of you were, were a part of that, that time frame. Um, but it helped me really to understand the, the differences, the class differences between these two groups of people. So the Jews hated the Samaritans so much that often they would go around Samaria in order to get where they want to go. So this is what it's telling us. It says Jesus is going from one region to another, and he either has to go all the way around, which is going to take more time, or he has to go right through. So guess what Jesus does? Jesus is going to go right through because Jesus always has a purpose for what he's doing. So we're on verse 5. So Jesus came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. And now Joseph's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. So, and we know sixth hour, about noontime. So it's kind of the heat of the day, the hot part of the day. So he sits down, and in verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Get me a drink. Okay, we got to pause there. In our culture, no big deal, right? You see somebody, they look thirsty. Would you like a drink? But in this culture, there's two major things here, right? One, Jew and Samaritan. And two, man and woman. Okay? So we have this, this, this crazy cultural situation here that's unheard of at the time. And Jesus walks right into it. Because why? Jesus breaks down everything, right? He goes way past cultural. He goes way past what, what a lot of people have developed and said is moral. He goes way past all of it because he has a purpose in what he's doing here. Verse 8, his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink for me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So we have the woman of Samaria. We have the heat of the day. And we have this well. When we look at the historical context of this, it's, it's a little off as well, right? Because when would you go all the way down carrying your jars to fill them up with water and haul them all the way back? Would you wait until noon, like, like the week before last, when it was 100 degrees? No. Everybody would go early. The women would go early. So we, we already know that in this situation, everything's a little bit weird because, one, she's all by herself, which is not something they would do culturally. They would all go together. And she's there in the heat of the day. Okay? So Jesus reaches out. Jesus asks her for a drink of water. And her response is not, oh, yes, sir. Or, oh, oh okay, sure, why not? She goes right into, what are you doing? Jesus, you must have no idea what's going on here. Where are you from? A different planet? I'm a woman. I'm by myself. You're a man. Our people don't get along. We kind of kill each other. And you're asking me for a drink? And now we get into Jesus' responses. This passage, I think, is one of the best stories of our Messiah because every single time he says something and it makes me go, why would you say that, Jesus? Why would you go that direction? It always catches me off guard. And every time he opens his mouth, it catches me a little off guard. And we have to see where he's taking this lady. 
So his response to her is not, well, well, here's why. Here's why I'm talking to you. I am Jesus. Nope. He doesn't say, oh, I don't care about all that cultural nonsense. I, everything goes with this guy. No, he doesn't even explain himself. He just says, if you knew who you were speaking to, you would ask me. So now we have this encounter. She, she may not know who he is yet. He's a stranger. But he's reached out and opened up this door for this communication. And he says, if you only knew who I was. So let's see how she responds. In verse 11, the woman said to him, uh, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Uh, where then do you get this living water? And are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? So the woman then always throws me off a little bit too. Her response is directly to physical. So notice how Jesus responded with what? Spiritual. Give me a drink. Ah, oh, you're not supposed to talk to me. If you knew who I was, you would ask me for living water. Spiritual. And what does she do to respond? Um, where's your bucket? Uh, where are you going to get this living water from? You, you look like you're ill-prepared for this, sir. Physical. We're missing the mark, right? Because what we have to remember is the Samaritan woman at this moment, dead in her sins. Remember what Romans tells us? There is none who are good, no, not one. They have the poison of asps under their tongues. They can't even speak well. They can't even speak things that are, that are not full of sin because that's who we are, lost and separated from Jesus. So this woman has a hard heart and she's not accepting spiritual things from Jesus because right now it's all physical. How do I get this living water? Verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will, will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus takes it back to spiritual, right? No, 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 you don't understand. Living water. And not just water that you can carry in a bucket, right? We, we don't support groups that go to Africa with pallets of water very often, do we? The water pallet ministry we go into this, this village and we drop off three pallets of water twice a year and it lasts them for a couple weeks. Nah, we wouldn't do that, right? What do we do? We dig wells. We want a fountain of water. We want to take care of it forever. Something they can take care of over the years and continue to give them what they need every day. This is the, this is the offer to the woman. So now let's see what the woman says. Do you think she says, oh, I understand. I want this living water, this fountain. In verse 15, she says, uh, the woman says to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Physical, right? Physical response. She's still on that. I want that and I will take it and I will probably do anything to be able to have this water so that I never have to come here again. That's a big word, here again. Now, we're going to learn more about this woman, and we're going to see a little bit as to why she's probably here by herself in the middle of the day. But it's important for her not to come here anymore. That could be because she doesn't want to do the work. She doesn't want to carry the heavy water. Water is extremely heavy. But I think there's more to it than that. So now she's ready for this water. In verse 16, Jesus says, again, he's going to go a different direction. This is not what I would do, Jesus. 
But Jesus knows the heart, and he goes to the heart every time, exactly what she needs to hear. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. Seems a little random, doesn't it? Have this water, it's living, you'll never have to thirst again. I want that, give that to me. You don't have a bucket, but I still want it. I don't ever want to come here again. Okay, uh, go get your husband. And here we go. This is where we learn more about her in verse 17. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one who you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now hold on one second there. So Jesus speaks to lifestyle, right? He speaks to who she is. In my opinion, a lot of times when he speaks to people in his ministry, he reaches into that one thing in their heart that's holding them back. That one thing that maybe has become the identity. The one thing often that's separating them from a relationship with him. For her, relationships. Five, living with the sixth. This is, where, this is, this is what's holding her back. This is probably why she's at the water, uh, the water or the well at noon by herself because of her lifestyle. So this is the woman that Jesus has chosen to sit down and speak to. And she responds to him by saying, okay, this just took a weird turn. Somehow he knows me. Somehow he knows where I've been and what I've done. And we hear later, she says, he knows, he told me everything about myself. There's probably more things that were shared here that maybe aren't recorded. But he reaches and he says, I know you. I know what's holding you back. I know what you're struggling with. I know what your lifestyle is. I know that in this culture, at this time, you have no voice. She's almost a nobody. Probably the first time that somebody's reached in and had this conversation with her. Because this is not a person that normally people are going to reach out to. But our Jesus does. And again, what I love is he reaches in and he, he reveals this and she says, okay, I understand you're a prophet, spiritual, right? Prophet is spiritual. It's not physical anymore. She, it, she, he, he breaks through here and she says, okay, I understand there's something spiritual going on here because you shouldn't know anything about me. And how does she respond? Spiritually? Nope, she goes back to the physical. What does she say? Now, our fathers worshiped on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Why would she go here? Sir, I understand you're a prophet. We've talked about water. You've called out all these things about me. But here's what I want to know. Where should we worship? Physical. Where should I physically go? My people say we go to Mount Gilead. Your people say Jerusalem. Which is it? Do you feel this kind of like bypassing the importance? You know, okay, you're a prophet. You're offering me living water. What do I do? Tell me, what do I need to do? You are some sort of prophet. There's something going on here. I need to know. No, she says, here's what I'm confused on. This reminded me uh, of, of Carrie's dad whenever we were talking about this because we've had conversations before where, where things become spiritual and then what happens is there's conversations um, that go physical or that go, that go here. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody where you're talking about Jesus or talking about faith 
And all of a sudden they turn and they say something like, but where did Adam and Eve's kids get their wives? Like, wait, we're talking about Jesus, the Messiah, the one who created you, who put breath into your lungs, the one who can save you from your sins for eternity. You can spend eternity with him. And you say, where did all the races come from? It goes back to the mental side, the physical side. Well, what about, well, what about, well, what about? And here she is with this opportunity with her Savior, and she's 100% focused on, well, what about the position of our worship? Where's the right place for the temple? Jesus responds in verse 21. He said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Spiritual. He says, woman, it's not about physical location or proximity where you're raising up your sacrifice, where you're reading the scriptures. It doesn't matter where. There's a time coming where God is seeking those who will worship in spirit and truth. Standing before her is her savior. And she's worried about the location of where to go to church. Spirit and truth. She has an opportunity right now to become one of those who are seeking in spirit and truth. So let's see how she responds. The woman said to her, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Ah, so her response is not, oh, so you're saying that something's changing, that there's, there's this time, there's this, this seeking, and I could become one who worships in spirit and truth. No, she goes back to this kind of nonchalant, you know, I know that Messiah is coming, uh, called the Christ, and... We're just going to let him sort all this out. He's going to come. He's going to take care of all this. We'll, we'll figure it all out. Have you ever heard anybody say, ah, oh, I'll figure it all out when I die? If God's real, I'm sure he'll sort it out in the end. That's what I feel like this, this response is. It's not this seeking. It's not this yearning. It's, well, I don't know who you are. You're a prophet. But I've been taught in these, these scriptures that we read tell us that there is one coming named Christ, the Messiah, and he'll figure it out. And why do I love this passage so much? Because Jesus is out front, very clear, direct to the point in his next words. In verse 26, it says, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That's me. You are seeking me. I'm not just a prophet. I'm not just some guy who knows about you and knows about your life and just told you things that no one should know. I am the one you are waiting for. Imagine the moment where he says that and she starts to process and you see these thoughts kind of going through her mind of, okay, he says that, that's, that's offensive. Like that's, that's a death sentence. You just said you're the Messiah. You're the one that our Pentateuch tells us about. You're the one that the Jews have been waiting for. You're the one that after 400 years of silence waiting on this Messiah, that now all of a sudden you're telling me that that's you? Wait a minute, he knows everything about me. Wait a minute, he said things he shouldn't know about me. 
He's done these things that don't make much sense in our culture. He's reached out to me. He's offered me living water. Imagine the moment where the wheels are turning and she starts to realize that all the things she, she thought were important start to fade away as she realizes that this man in front of her said he's the Christ and he could be. Verse 27 goes on, and it says, At this point his disciples came, and they marveled that he was talking to a woman, yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? And the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they went out of the city and came to him. This voiceless woman has found a voice at this moment. Did you hear what she did with her voice? First thing first, she left her water pot. Okay? Why would you go to the, the watering hole and not get water? Because your life just changed, right? Something amazing just happened with her Messiah. She leaves her water pot. She goes running back to where? Back to town. Back to the people that we assume probably don't want anything to do with her. And where does she go? Does she go to all the women that, that she doesn't do water with? And she's like, well, I'm a woman. I should probably go tell the women. Who does she go to tell? It says the men. This woman goes to the men in Samaria and says, come here. He told me everything that I've ever done. Come here. Could it be? Could he be the one he just told me he is? Could he be my Messiah? This voiceless woman hiding away in the noon hour all by herself now has run into the city directly in front of men and said, come, see what I have found. She found her voice at that moment. Next step, let's... Let's jump ahead to verse 39. We're going to go back and we're going to catch the middle, but I want you to see the end of the story before we hit the middle of the story. In verse 39, it says this, Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him, Jesus, because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. When the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. We don't get to see the end of all of the biblical narratives. We get to see these moments in time where Jesus was passing through and he healed or he was passing through and he, and he spoke. We don't often see the end result. Every once in a while we do, but that's one reason I love this story so much, because it takes us beginning, middle, and end. But it doesn't tell us after the fact. It doesn't tell us what the Samaritan woman went on to do. But it tells us that her impact had great rewards for the kingdom of heaven, did it not? She went back and said, come, See what I see. Could it be? Hold on. He's a Jew. But come anyway. And somehow she was able to convince him to come. And they came and they met with him and they invited him in. Can you imagine? Take it back to John Piper's illustration. Take it back to the 1950s, 1960s. Black man. Maybe a white woman 
culturally completely separated, completely distant from one another, cultures at arms against one another. And they come and they seek him out and he welcomes them in. And he speaks to them and he stays two days ministering to these people that he's supposed to hate. And they respond in droves to him. The light to the Samaritans. And that is our Jesus, is it not? Our Jesus is not the Jesus of the white people. It's not the Jesus of Highland, Illinois. He's not the Jesus of the United States. He's the Messiah for everyone. He came for all. He came for all mankind, and he sees us all the same way that he saw that Samaritan woman with open arms because he is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, period. Romans chapter 10 says this, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What happened to these Samaritans? Did they hear the voice of a Samaritan woman and fall on their knees and repent? It's not what it says, right? But they heard, and in verse 42 it says, Now we believe, not because of what you, the Samaritan woman, said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ the Savior of the world. In order to know, in order to respond, we have to hear, but we must have the Word of God. God's Word is what turns us, just like the Samaritan woman, from a life of sin to a life of sacrifice. We must have God's Word. Now the question is, how do they hear the Word of God? How did you hear the Word of God? I know my wife heard the word of God from Greg Laurie in Riverside, California at the California Angels Stadium, right? That dates you. It's not even a team anymore. Anaheim. Anaheim Angels, that's right. So that, it was a, a, a big event that turned her heart and opened up her eyes. And then it was years before she heard the word of God again until someone came and gave her a Bible and opened up Scripture to her and explained what had happened in her heart. For me, the Word of God came through saints, people over year after year after year sharing the gospel in Sunday school, um, you know, in, in worship services, in youth events, over and over and over again. How did you hear the Word of God? So without God's Word... Christianity is just a feeling, right? If we don't have the word of God to teach us what Jesus did for us and what Jesus and his, his death on the cross and his resurrection does for us and our souls because we're lost and we're broken and we have a, a, a hindrance of our relationship with God, we must have God's word. And that's what Jesus brought to the Samaritans. Let's bounce back and we'll finish up this passage in verse 31. This is the conversation that he gets to have with his disciples after the conversation with the woman. And it says, In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Physical, right? Rabbi, eat. You're tired. We've been journeying. Food. And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Sorry, I bounced down. 32 says, I have food to eat which you do not know. And the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus, spiritual. I just, I just ate, guys. 
I'm, I'm sustained because I'm doing what God has prepared for me to do. Jesus came to seek and to save those which were lost. What a great story of seeking and saving a woman who was lost. And what do they do? Physical. Somebody bring them crackers? Like, is somebody roast some meat and sneak it in while we are away? How is he full? Physical. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say, or do you not say, there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and the other reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. <laughs> Jesus calls us to use our voices too, doesn't he? If you've had that encounter with Jesus Christ, your Messiah, the one who came for you, you have an obligation. I have an obligation. I shared a story at the beginning of someone who struggled to use that voice. And I always wonder, what does that encounter with the Savior look like? Because when I read my Bible and when I read of who Jesus Christ is and I see the impact that he's had on people in Scripture and I know the impact he's had on me, how can we struggle to use our voices? if we really believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and he's taken me from a dead mess to someone with a voice, someone who he can use, why do I struggle to open my mouth? I think it needs to make us question where we stand with our Jesus. Do you guys ever sing the song, um, How Can I Keep From Singing? How can I keep from singing my praise? Uh, you're, you're, you're always enough. Um, how can I keep from shouting your name? Like I sing that song and it reminds me that if I struggle to sing his praise and to shout his name, I may not be walking with the Lord or my relationship may be hindered. Maybe sin worked its way in. So I ask you the question this morning, number one, have you had that encounter with your Messiah, our Messiah, our Jesus? Have you faced him? Have you had that, that relationship change between one who is so holy he can't look upon you and your sin to one who has been redeemed by Jesus Christ and accepted by God through his atoning sacrifice? If not, man, today is the day. Listen to God's spirit. And number two, for many others of you, so many of you, the saints of the church, the people who have been here for so long, so many new faces that I don't know where you stand with the Lord, I ask you the question, not if you have a voice, because you do, but how are you using that voice? In that passage, Jesus reminds his disciples, the harvest is ready to go. The fields are white with harvest. As you drive through the fields, did you see it this morning? Maybe people that live in town missed it. I drove through the fields. They're starting to start, the, the corn's drying out, right? It's almost here. We're almost ready for harvest. I challenge you this season as you drive through and you see these fields ready for harvest as you say, oh, look, that one might be gone next time I drive by. Remember, 
souls. They're souls. There's, there's work that's been done. There's seeds that have been planted in souls. And Jesus allows us to be able to step into that process, to be able to sometimes plant the seed, sometimes be able to water the seed, because he's going to bring a harvest. What a privilege. We don't follow Jesus and then do our own thing and go on down the road and say, we'll see what he does with everybody else. What is the Great Commission? The Great Commission is to go because the fields are ripe with harvest. I pray that's what you guys are doing at Family Bible Church. I know you are. I look at the wall and I, and I see the ministries and, and, uh, and I know you and I know many of you in your relationships. Man, what a blessing to use our voice to be able to bring glory to Jesus Christ, our Savior. What a blessing. Love this story. Thank you for journeying through that with me. I'm going to pray, and um, I think we got a, a, a closing song, right? Yeah. Awesome. All right, let's pray together. Father, uh, man, so grateful for your word. Um, after all of these years, 2,000 years, Lord, we have this beautiful collection of stories, firsthand narratives that were written during firsthand audience that have been held on to and gathered and collected and people have given their lives for the preservation. Father, the, the story of Jesus Christ come walking on earth as one of us, setting down next to a woman of ill repute that nobody else probably wanted anything to do with and offering her living water. Thank you, Lord, that that's true of each of us that you offer us living water so that we can never have to worry about thirsting again, Father. Thank you for filling us up. Father, I pray this morning that as each of us leave here, we would go forth remembering what you have called upon us for our lives, that you call us to have a reasonable living sacrifice. Father, I pray that we would have the strength to be able to lay down those things that are hindering us, those things that are pulling us aside, those hangs that are blocking us from being able to truly 100% follow you. Father, that you would give us the strength to be able to shake those things off and to be able to put on what you have for us. Father, this, this, this place, this family Bible church, Father, can be such a beacon for this community and has been for so many years continue to pray with their next step that they would go forth seeking out the harvest that you can bring in this community and in the communities around. We thank you for these families. We thank you for these babies. We thank you for these babies that haven't quite been born yet. Oh, what a blessing. What a blessing to have these young people in here singing praise of the glorious Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that that is a long journey, and we thank you, Lord, that they get to be here in this stage of their life. We love you, Lord. We pray all of this in the awesome name of Jesus. Amen.